0: Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. God, we thank you for this sanctuary, this place in which we're found in you and this place in which we find you. God, we're grateful that your word still has meaning and merit, that this isn't a religion. This is actually a, not even a relationship. It is something so much more to us. And so today, God, may you form us in your image, in yours alone. We're not here for a brand. We are not here for something that is outside of just you forming us into who you created us to be. So Father we submit to your will for that today In Jesus name and the church said uh, Amen I want to talk about something today And it's actually been a passage of scripture Probably many of us have heard And If you come here any length of time Typically I like to preach A term would be expository Where we take one passage of scripture We just focus on it for four hours And then I hand it off to Keith To run it out But uh But no, actually today it's a little bit more topic-oriented and really what I mean by that is I want to talk about something that I think is missed in the context of talking about the light of the world and being the light to the world and all of these things and it's the conjunction of salt and light and specifically I don't think salt has been talked about as much or enough. So what I want to talk about today and what I'm titling kind of this sermon is the calling of salt. Now, for many of us, I I have a bone to pick with the COVID period. I would love if they put the salt shakers for the popcorn at the movie theater back out because I'm tired of getting 15 packets of that and tearing them off my wife knows I'm, like, stuffing my pocket with salt and tearing each one off. And I eat a lot of salt on my popcorn. Don't judge me. Whatever, I'll judge you back. Anyway. (laughs) But what I want to talk about is the calling of salt, and specifically what's funny is I'm from Michigan, and so if you're from a cold weather part of America, um, what's interesting is that salt is not like, when you talk about salt, nine times out of ten, it's actually salt on the roads. How many are from a place, or Nova a place, where they put salt on the roads, right? Good. A lot of Midwesterners in here? Hallelujah. Nope, not really. Okay. <laughs> But, but literally, I remember, here's the funny thing is, is you know when the roads aren't salted because you drive on them and you're like, I might die, right? And what's funny is, is when you're an optimist as a young person, right, I remember snow is great when it's unsalted because you go in the parking lots and just rip donuts, don't do them, but... <laughs> Or you get a four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive car Because you're like, man, I can go through the snow And then you just forget that there's ice And ice is worse than any amount of snow Because literally you can die on it But anyway, what I was going to say though is, is nine times out of ten Salt in Michigan is referenced to kind of salt in the, on the roads Essentially a period of time where they throw salt down And that salt chemical composition breaks down the ice In which you can go on the roads And you can actually stop when you want to Now, I've never been in any car accidents before, but my closest instances of a straight on car accident are on ice. Now, the reason they're on ice is because in my brain, I am a perfect, flawless driver. And so I can handle a little ice until I realize, oh, I actually, nobody can really handle ice. (laughs) But I'll never forget the very first instance where my, my heart was in my throat. I thought I was going to absolutely clobber a car, was in a snowstorm, in which I thought, listen, there's ice on the roads, but I'm a fantastic Jeff, Jeff Gordon driver. And so I remember that we're, there's a part in, this, in the little town that I'm from. I'm from a town in Michigan of 12,000 people. I swear, it's, it's very small. And I remember you go up a hill and you can't see over this hill. But when you get to the top of the hill, the, the one lane switches to three lanes. There's two lanes that go to the right and then there's one lane that turns into a turning lane. So on this particular day, you've got to get enough speed to go up the hill. And as I go up the hill, I'm going up the hill at about 50 miles per hour. And as I get to the crest of the hill, the very top, it flattens out. And from here to the back wall, I look and there's a car that's turning. However, my personal favorite is not in the turn lane. They've decided to stay in the lane that is not designed for turning because they didn't want to go to the other lane because there was some snow in it. And they just figured, listen, you come over the hill, you'll be able to stop or get in the other lane. The only problem is, is there's ice on the roads. So as I'm coming up the hill, this person has not gotten over fully, and I'm looking, and the best part is I'm on the phone with my friend. I literally say, because I have enough time, where I'm like, hey man, I think I'm about to get in a car accident, gotta go, bye. Throw my phone down, and I'm looking, and I'm trying to tap my brakes, I'm not slowing down. Tapping, not slowing down. Tapping the brakes, not slowing down. So then I start assessing. I, like, look out my window, car next to me. Look in my rear view, car behind me. Look, can I slow down enough to squeeze in? Nothing. And so literally, I have no other choice besides just rear-ending this guy unless I want to pull into oncoming traffic and swerve around him. Which, in hindsight, is hilarious because it's like, hey, instead of rear-ending somebody, why don't I just get in on a head-on accident? (laughs) It's like, this is a dude's 19-year-old parade. It's like, yeah, it makes sense, right? So dead serious, I'm literally watching this car, and once again, it's their fault, because they're not in the turn lane. They're half in the turn lane, half in my lane, because it's snowy, and they just never got over fully. So they're sitting there, and I remember, I peek my head out the literal window to look at oncoming traffic, and I just say, you know what, here we go. And I swerve into oncoming traffic. As I swerve into oncoming traffic, there is a policeman 50 feet coming dead at me. How many of you guys know this should end really well? So it's like, why rear end somebody when I can just hit a cop car head on? This is incredible. It's a great idea. Once again, nineteen year olds. Some of the dudes in the room are like, "Dang, I've had thoughts like that actually. Have I? Maybe I don't know. I forgot." Okay. <laughs> some guys like, I'm, I feel attacked. <laughs> But anyway, so I swerve, and I remember I'm literally, I mean, 50 feet. Now it's from here to, that, to, the, to the opening in the door. I'm looking, and I'm like, I'm going to smoke head on this cop car. But the better part is, is just as the cautiousness of that person did not allow them to get over to their full lane and then in turn block two lanes, so they didn't pull out in front of me. So as soon as I cleared them, I immediately ripped my wheel. But because I'm overcompensating to not crush the cop car, I hit a figure eight. And I do this figure eight, pop a curb, land in a parking lot of Burger King, and I'm there. And the cop swerves to, hits a figure eight, pops a curb, and lands in a Walgreens. And we are now about 100 feet apart looking at each other as we're like, wow, we, we survived this. So I'm just thinking, I'm like, okay, going to prison. Or at least having to take a breathalyzer. But I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, there is no way I just got out of this. And literally, he rolls down his window, I kid you not, and goes like this pulls in the road and leaves. And, what it, and in my mind, I'm like, he saw the car, and then he was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense why you would pull into oncoming traffic. But it was funny because he knew the roads were icy. He probably didn't see the car that was needed prayers, whoever that driver is. But it was interesting because, once again, like I said, I tell you that story because I believe a lot of us, we, we don't understand That there are unseen things, there's this ice that the salt is supposed to thaw out so you can live a safe and not destructive existence. See, the salt in my eyes is this idea that God sprinkles things upon us that break up the hard ground in which we live, in which we can stay protected. Or rather, can I say it like this, is today what I want to talk about is the destructive nature of an unsalted existence. See, so often I believe that, man, we're all about, okay, I go to church and I do the things, but salt, truly the the quality and what it actually does within humanity is so interesting because light is just, the presence of it being on or off is very evident, Salt, depending what you're using it for, is an interesting construct for Jesus to just say, hey, be light and salt. It's like, okay, well, that was random. Why couldn't you be pepper? Some of you guys are like, you know, that's actually a good thought. So, what I want to do is I want to break down and actually give you a little bit of uh, some understanding on why I want to challenge you in your calling of being salt. Good job. Matthew 5, 13 to 16, it says this, You are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus speaking. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I mean, think about that. On one end, you've got salt that like, but as soon as you can taste it, it doesn't have the taste anymore. It's worthless. What I want to say to you today, right, is this, this idea that just the, the taste losing its potency becomes worthless. Is this image I'm painting of a Christian who loses their Christianity and the taste of what they possess that then becomes worthless to what the kingdom actually stands for? Let's continue reading. Verse 14 You are the light of the world, a city on a hill who cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand it gives light to all who are in the home. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Mark 9, 49 to 50, for everyone will be salted with fire. Can I get an amen? It's like a couple real dull amens there. It's like, this is one where it's like, yeah, double portion, God. More salting of fire salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. See, isn't it interesting? This is language Jesus is using. You know what's even more wild is the the term, um, are you worth your salt, is actually a term that was, that was coined, During the Roman Empire and the Roman reign upon the earth, because salt was used for so many variations of things, whether that was for healing, for preservation, for flavor. It was used for so many different things that it was very common that people would actually be paid, and what they're being paid, they're literally taking and buying salt from the same person that's paying them. So when they were saying, Hey, were you worth your salt? is instead of saying money or coinage or whatever, they're saying, Hey, were you worth the money that? you're purchasing to purchase salt that you need. Not salt that just has one purpose but salt that actually had the underpinning of historical importance. Before there was refrigeration, salt was the preservation tactic of food. Before there there was sanitation and things that we could use to clean wounds, what do you think salt did? Salt in the wound even today, we still practice historically Epsom salts. I'll never forget it because I literally had surgery an open wound and they said, put it in Epsom salt. And you better believe I only did that once. Because if you ain't never used Epsom salt for an open wound, I promise it's not worth it. <laughs> Maybe it is, but not for me. <laughs> that burnt. But what I'm saying is as worth your salt is the understanding, right, that you're purchasing something that has so multifaceted in what its uses were for that it was extremely valuable. Not to mention the fact, look at these passages in Numbers and Second Chronicles. Numbers 18, 19, all the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offered to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters as perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants before you. You know, what's interesting is they believe that as there was sprinkling of blood on the altars, is they would also sprinkle salt because of the worth that it possessed. Second Chronicles eight thirteen five says, Do you not know that the Lord your God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by covenant of salt? Once again, it's just interesting when we start breaking down some of these meanings, pointing out like, hey, as Jesus referenced that, this is actually something that's found in the Mosaic Covenant early on, in which God points out like, hey, just as salt is something that for some reason just shows up places, And once again, it's not for just this, you know, it's easy to say, okay, well, I'm the light of the world. Because obviously light has a distinct one thing purpose to give sight. But salt, the purpose and quantity and quality of it, what is it? See, it's almost like Jesus is telling a parable just with one word, salt. The purpose and use of it is actually what you're supposed to be. But what happens if you haven't explored the purposes and uses? What if you're ignorant to what those purposes and uses are? Or the fact that you just like salt on your food? So today I want to challenge you on if your salt has worth. But to give you a clear, crystal clear image of this, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture and focus on a people that, in my opinion, I've never in my life heard a sermon on. And this comes from a place of, in in, in Bible college, I had to write a paper of 50 pages on Jeremiah. And I don't know how I over, I missed this specific um, passage of Scripture. But I'll never, this week, I was in my office alone, and I stumbled on this particular kind of focused group of people. And their names were the Rechabits. Jeremiah, a prophet, and I'm going to summarize a lot, so just track with me. Jeremiah, a prophet, is pronouncing judgment upon one of God's chosen people, Judah. At this point, Judah and Israel have split into two countries. After King David and Solomon, the prophecy comes true that there would be fracture and disintegration of God's people. So Judah becomes its own country as well as Israel. Judah, Jeremiah goes to the kings and says, hey guys, your wickedness... And failure to keep covenant has resulted in God handing you over into exile to the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar will be coming laying siege on Jerusalem. And in this place of laying siege upon Jerusalem, you need to lay down your arms and just give the holy city to him. Now, rightfully, everybody is like, absolutely not, Jeremiah. You're an idiot. Please leave. But Jeremiah constantly throughout is pronouncing judgment, pronouncing judgment, pronouncing judgment. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He pronounces judgment, and then he says he calls forward a clan of people that are no more than 1,500. Judah at this time is estimated to be over 1 million people. And so he calls forward in the presence of the kings and his his prophetic kind of authority. He calls forward a people called the Rechabits. And the Rechabets were have an interesting story. And it's actually found in Jeremiah chapter 35. And once again, I'm paraphrasing this because to, to understand because I can't spend you know, a few hours on three chapters. But he brings forward these people and essentially whose founder, the Rechabit's founder, is a man by the name of Jonadab. Jonadab partnered with King Jehu as the first reformation against Baal. That we have of kingship in scripture in which they absolutely destroyed and rid Israel and Judah of Baal. So in that place, Jehu was king, but Jonadab takes his descendants and says, here's the deal. I think there's going to be a time coming when everybody's going to be disobedient and wicked. So what I want you to do is not even be around them. I want you to be nomads. Go out into the wilderness And keep with the dietary restrictions, laws, and following God. And it's estimated that over 200 years have passed and generations have now died off. Jeremiah brings in these people who now are seeking safety from Babylon within the city confines of Jerusalem. Sits them down at a table and offers them wine in his presence. And they look at the prophet of God, the most godly man on the face of the planet. Look at him and say, no, we're not drinking that We've been keeping our covenant year after year, decade after decade, over 100 years, over 150 years, over 200 years. Our small plan has stayed faithful. Jeremiah completely pivots. After offering them a glass of wine, he then turns to the kings and points and says, These faithful people have been pure in heart holy and devoted, small in number, but their faithfulness has been seen. And this is what he actually says in closing Jeremiah thirty-five eighteen to 19. Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, because you have obeyed the commands of Jonadab, your father kept all his commands and done according to all commanded to you. Therefore this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, Jonadab, the son of Rechab." You will not lack a man to stand before me, always. I'm going to summarize this very quickly. A small group of people stays devoted, pure, holy, righteous, year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, with no end in sight, just we're going to do what our father has told us we're going to follow the law we're going to serve God we're going to stay faithful and one day this small group of people then becomes the example to the entire nation of what devotion is but not just an example there's a promise given you will always stand before me what I'm saying to you today is this is See, the qualities of salt, we're going to break down a little bit in our closing moments here, but what it is, is when people possess that devotion, purity, that God, you'll be sprinkled into everything that I am. When people live in this place of utter, God, I'll give you everything, trust you, and follow what's been written and what's been said. For some reason, there's a there's an element that Uses ...that even small in number become an example to the ones who have watered down, watered down, watered down what commitment to Christ looks like. And this promise I loved wasn't, I'm going to give you riches, honor, and fame. It was, I'll let you stand before me forever. See, and I think that should contort our reality... That our, our focus upon being with God is not what he gives us, but rather, God, may I stand before you forever. See, that's a salty existence is one that literally he's so flavored in that it changes our reality from what you can give me, God, to God, can I be present in you. See, this is what faith, the salt in the light is, is. It's not this understanding and reality of, God, I serve you because hopefully you'll make it easier. Hopefully you'll give me what I want. Hopefully if I kind of seek first the kingdom and maybe some righteousness, you'll add what I want. But it's rather God. I will be fully devoted, obedient, submitted to your will. I will have rhythms, practices, behaviors in which I'm so with you that I only want the promise of being forever, being the one to stand in your presence. Assault the existence. So what I want to do with just my closing moments is give you a couple rapid fire things. How do you make sure your salt has worth today? How do you make sure your salt has worth? The first thing, if your salt isn't providing healing, it's not the right seasoning. Seasoning. Our our salt should be thawing, icy ground. If you're more for division than you are for unity, then you're more for sickness than you are for health. And I think today, a lot of the times what we've done is we've liked to pick up this, this divisive gospel of Christianity in which we plant our cross and our flag and say, listen, you either follow or die. And what's interesting to me is we get mad at a fallen world for acting fallen and sinful. Wondering why, oh, well why don't they follow God? Because they don't know Him. I can't, I can't get over the fact that we as Christians, we've become just a, just absolutely destructive to loving our neighbors. Because all we're focused on is why aren't you living righteous instead of being the living righteous one that changes the perception of righteousness to people. I'm not saying that we as a society and as a a, a Christian community contort what the Bible says to fit narratives of acceptance and inclusion. But what I am saying is that we should always be salted with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, temperance, self-control. I can keep going, but I'm telling you this. If your salt isn't thawing the icy, hard ground of this world, then it's worthless and it's just getting trampled. The second thing is this. Salt that's lost its flavor is just a disciple who's lost their discipline or never had it. You know, so often what's sad today when I talk about the watered-down characteristics of following God is because for a lot of us, right, if we were to assess... Do I have the disciplines of being a disciple? Disciple, disciplined learner. Not just learner open-ended, but disciplined in the pursuit of knowledge that applies to us learning and changing. What I'm saying to you today is this. Is that habits, routines, behaviors, patterns, these are not just words you're going to hear here a thousand times. You're going to hear them a million And it's because my life and me and my wife's life and our church's life, what we are rooting in is the habits, disciplines, behaviors and patterns of being a follower of Jesus that doesn't, in all honesty, doesn't care about this crowd in terms of you guys show up and it makes me feel good. I get more from my quiet time than I get from a platform. I get more from spending time with God in which once again, like the Rechabits, one will always stand before me. See, that is what produces an intimacy and sanctification in which I don't choose sin. Because I so value standing in the presence of a holy living God, that why would I choose something that just band-aids my flesh? And what I'm saying to you today is this, do you have rhythms and patterns of prayer Community, worship, sacrifice, Sabbath. These holistic practices that have stood since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, for some reason we say we want to be disciples of him, but don't actually want to live like he did. Retreating from the crowds, even in some instances telling people who he healed not to tell others You know why that is? Scholars believe that, and this is going to, sorry, I'm going to prickle some feathers or whatever that is. Scholars believe that as Jesus is telling people in multiple instances, don't go tell people about me. It's because he's assessing his disciples and his teachings and saying, we're not at a place where we can handle people's development. I'm going to say that again. See, it's really easy to have shallow conversion, but it's a whole nother thing to live out life change. It is a whole nother level to take the gospel and apply it to every part of who we are. And what I'm challenging you today is this, is I believe, you know what my biggest pet peeve in ministry is? Is spiritually undisciplined believers giving advice on spiritual principles. I'm going to tell you this, if you want to stand on a stage but you don't want to live it, there's plenty of places and things you can build your own brand around and do, but that's just not who we are here. Discipline is what we stand on. Discipline is what got the it's remembered. You'll stand with me forever because you've been faithful. The third thing, the salt of the Spirit should flavor your life and others should be able to taste it through your conversations and personhood. This week, I was spending some time with my neighbors. It had been a long day, but I saw them out at the end of the driveway, and I walked up. And then we've known each other socially for a while, but believe it or not, every time I have a conversation with somebody, I don't just preach the gospel in 30 seconds. (sighs) But I'll never forget this moment because I was standing there and finally they were, they, and by finally we'd been talking, and one of my neighbors looked at me and said, So, what is the church that you lead believe? So, I've never been in a church before. Never. And, and my story's a little bit different because I grew up without a mom. My mom had me and completely abandoned me with my father and with my siblings. So, I don't know anything about church. I know just the bare minimum of even who Jesus is. So we start talking, and as we start talking, my other neighbor pipes in, and he's from Bosnia, a Muslim who immigrated here after his entire family was killed during the Civil War, as a four-year-old knife held to his neck in front of his mother, and he escaped, found refuge here. So as I'm processing with them what we believe, you know what's interesting, is they're asking that question because they're seeing a flavor in my life that they've never tasted before. And as we talk for an hour, it's not let me lead you through conversion, it's let me be the salt in the light, the light that illuminates, but the salt flavors for you. That causes an interest not just for interest sake but an interest that gets you to start asking the questions and seeking new answers. See, I think a lot of the times in the church and in the faith we salt based off of what we think the common people around us want to hear, need to hear, want to feel, need to feel and we don't actually know how to be believers who can be salt and light in every circumstance and condition. They can be salt and light To the people walking out of a bar, they can be salt and light. To the war-torn that have immigrated here and their families have been killed, they can be salt and light on college campuses. They can be salt and light in their workforce. They can be salt and light for their family. They can be salt and light on Sunday morning, but that ain't it. See, they can be salt and light in every place that their feet stand. And what I'm saying to you today is this, is the salt of the Spirit should flavor your life in such a way that when you are around people, they taste something different that postures conversation. And the last one is this, and this is the most pivotal point for us as I literally close, I promise. You're going to be salted with fire. Lean in. The results are that of purity and preservation for your walk with God. This is something that has just been going through my mind over and over. Purity and preservation. Purity and preservation. You know what purity is? Is where God burns up any fleshly desire for him and refines it with a holy connection in which you sense, walk, and speak to the living God. Preservation is one where as we've seen surface and shallow Christianity in which we go through difficult seasons and the roots are dried up in the heat of trial. That I feel like God is challenging his people to once again preserve. I love that most of them you can trace a lot of the explosion in our faith historically to that of trial and fire as the Roman Empire literally is burning Christians alive in trees as Nero is taking walks, shaving animal skins, putting them on Christians to literally hunt. The gospel's going forward. Has this purity of how can these people stay faithful through this? And then finding out that it's not about the people staying faithful, it's about the power that the people believe in inside that maintains faithfulness. Purity and preservation in our faith ecosystem is essentially the currency that most people don't possess. What I mean by that is purity, loving something so wholeheartedly and de- with devotion that is so faith-based that it causes others to go, I've never exercised faith at that level. Preservation, to, as the ebbs and flows of life come, we still Stay consistent. See, these two things, see, we have excuses for when life's bad, we reach for bad behaviors, vices, relationships because it's going tough, anything that'll ease the pain. But what does it mean to have such a purity and preservation? Because believe it or not, salt in its purest form is when it has its most potency. Salt in its purest form is what has its most preservation quality. And believe it or not, I'm going to tell you this, I'm such a salt guru that I got my own little, like, wood thing. I was going to bring it, but for God, it's okay. With the pink Himalayan stuff, because it's the good stuff. And what I'm saying to you today, what I'm saying to you today is this, is God has... A salt that he's called us to be in which there's a purity and a preservation, an awareness that the world leans from your proximity, a flavor that you bring and that he brings to your life, but it's rooted in the disciplines, habits, behaviors, and commitment of being one who says, God, I choose you. See, that's the challenge today. Not just light, but salt. Salt. Let's stand to our feet. If you've never been here before, you know I just read a passage of scripture over everybody pertaining to the sermon. So I'm going to read this over everybody. Whatever your posture is for receiving, whether that's open hands or closed eyes or whatever you're comfortable with, I pray this meets you. God today we believe you are positioning your to be the salt in this earth ones who heal preserve purify season and thaw the hard ground of hearts to see and experience you oh god would you make us part in our chemistry able to be sensed and tasted in the presence of a world searching for anything to taste differently than the of the enemy we repent today of our salt that has maybe lost some flavor we today recommit to the importance of the disciplines that make us disciples God may your salt have an ability to purify our reasons for living and preserve our hearts in grace love and truth and these things that can only be found in the pursuit of you God, we are salt and light, not one or the other. Both components are necessary for the world to take notice of your gospel and the life and fulfillment that can only be found in submission to you. Oh God, would you keep us dependent on your word and spirit, rooted in communion and beholding and postured to be the ones who bring life to a dying world. Use us today, God to be the salt of your name. Amen.